We are kicking a series off called Brave. Let me ask you this question. What, what does bravery look like? Um, here's some options. Does it look like Chris Kyle? Kind of, um, all the women are like, oh God, I hope so. God, I hope it looks like that, right? Um, kind of grisly, a little bit controversial, or maybe it looks like this grisly. Somehow, like oddly cool, right? It's like, what a sweet picture. We don't think about the fact that maybe the next picture she's, she's gone, but whatever, right? Um, maybe, maybe it's someone putting themselves in harm's way for someone else. Is this bravery? When I think of bravery, um, I will always think of 9-11. I will always think of the men and women who ran into a building that people were running out of, okay? Or, or maybe it looks more like stupidity. Because, because we put ourselves in harm's way, right? <laughs> maybe, it, maybe it just looks, looks like this. Just extreme calm confidence that you are safe no matter where you may find yourself. Wh- whatever it looks like, here's some things that it does not look like. It does not look like me with a mouse. Right now, I'm, I'm going to share some personal things about myself. I, I don't like mice. Um, if a mouse ran in here right now, I would be calm because I'm up here. But if I was down on the floor and a mouse ran by, I would jump high, even for a white guy, right? And I would scream high like a woman, right? I mean, I just, or, or a man that screams high. I don't, you know, I just, I don't like mice at all. Um, it, it would not look like me the other night when my family went out and we came home. And as we went to unlock the door, there was a snake there. And so my family's like, snake! And I'm like, <laughs> snake! Parker, get the shovel, you know? So Parker, he brought me the shovel, and this is what bravery is not. It does not look like this, because this is how I looked when I was killing the snake. <laughs> I'm sorry for y'all on that side, but still, like, you know, like, that was me. Like, why do I keep missing, right? I mean, it, it, was, it was huge, you know, huge snake. It's, it's, now, it's now dead. And people ask me all the time, like, what would it look like? Dead. Well, well, before you killed it, evil. <laughs> like it's, the, the only good snake is a dead snake. Amen? Amen? See how all the women agreed with me? <laughs> and all the men are like, you're our pastor? Wow. Um, some visual evidence um, besides making fun of me. Something else that it, it doesn't look like this meteorologist. Can we have that footage? We can play that? That would be me with a snake right there, except I don't wear skirts. But, you know, it's, pretty, it's a pretty good picture. Okay? Um, so here's the thing. As, as we begin to look through a book, Esther. You can go ahead and turn to Esther. If you turn to Psalms, which is kind of in the middle of the book, the Bible, and go back a couple books, you'll find Esther. Um, Back to the left, you'll find Esther. As you turn there, let me just tell you something. We're going to spend the next couple months in a book that never mentions the name of God. Not one time. But you will be amazed at how much you see the hand of God in this book. It's, it's amazing to watch God move. It, we're going to begin to learn what it really means to be brave. Let me just tell you right up front that being brave doesn't mean to never be afraid. I love this quote from Omar Bradley. Maybe you've never heard of him, but he was, he was a general of the army in the 1950s. Bravery is the capacity to perform even when scared half to death. 
So I was brave the other night because that snake was killed, right? I killed that thing dead a couple of times. Scared out of my mind. Took care of it. Bravery is the capacity to perform even when scared half to death. In fact, bravery can only be seen in the stressful situations that demand it. Isn't that true? Let's be clear about this. Sometimes we don't even choose the situations that require bravery. Sometimes it feels like they kind of choose us. Some of the people that we'll see in the story of Esther, apparently, I'm going to be brave by teaching Esther. I, I just thought Esther was a fun story. Like when I was in youth group, in youth ministry, and a kid would walk up to me and say, I don't really like to read the Bible. I don't understand the Bible. The Bible's boring. I'd say, dude, you need to read the book of Esther. Why? Oh, man, like, because Esther's got, like, like uh, warriors and, like, blood and murder, sex, and, like, and it never mentions God. Like, dude, i got to check that book out. And they would go back and read it and come, they'd be like, that's an amazing book. But what we'll find is, like, people say you shouldn't preach on Esther because it's, there's so many twists. There's so many turns. Here's what you're going to find over the next couple months. There's a lot of sketchy characters in Esther. A lot of the people that you've grown up thinking were great maybe weren't as great as you thought. A lot of people that you thought were terrible might not have been quite as bad as you thought. And, and a lot of the people that we would consider courageous and brave really just picked the lesser of two evils. There's a lot in Esther that's kind of weird, but here's what I love how one commentator said it. He said, when you teach Esther, you should teach all the stuff in Esther because what people will start to realize is that sinners are the people God uses. And I can't speak for you. I'll just speak for this sinner. That's good news. To know that God can still use me. Sometimes we just become desperate. Sometimes we find ourselves in desperate situations. And that alone can require bravery. I want to give you three points this morning. I want to just walk you through chapter one in Esther. Um, as we go through the book, we'll do a lot of background stuff, kind of help you understand what's going on in the text. Um, I want to make sure that you get the points, okay, that you understand how this book can relate to you today. And so here's where we're going to start. Just in, in chapter one, verse one, it says this. This is what happened during the time of Xerxes. Now, if you, depending on your version, you, I, I, I've got Xerxes in mind. I'm in the NIV. Um, some of them have a name that says Ahasuerus. And it's, it's the same person, okay, don't, don't freak out there. One is the Hebrew name, and Xerxes was his Persian name. And so we're talking about King Xerxes. Um, I've never seen the movie, but if you've seen the movie 300, then the, he was in that movie. That movie was about King Xerxes. You've heard this name before. Um, probably not the best movie to see. I'm just letting you know he's in there. Um, let me kind of help you understand what this king looked like as we kind of walk through. It says, this happened during the time of, of Xerxes, the Xerxes who ruled over 127 provinces, stretching from India to Cush. At that time, King Xerxes reigned from his royal throne in the citadel of Susa. And in the third year of his reign, he gave a banquet for all his nobles and officials, the military leaders of Persia and Media, the princes and the nobles of the provinces were present. Here's what we know about King Xerxes. One, the dude was powerful. He was kind of a big deal, right? He ruled over what they would have called the world. Everything we just read, those 127 provinces from India to Kush, that whole region was what they knew as the world back then. 
and he ruled over that. He had um, a couple of castles. I love that. He had one that we're talking about here in Susa. He had another one. He had two castles. It's like, you know, winter home, summer home, right? It's a big deal. Powerful. He, he gained so much power. Listen to this. Don't miss this. That he invited the military leaders. All of the military leaders came to a party. Now, you know that you rule the world when you can tell all the military leaders that are supposed to protect you from your enemies to come to your house for a party. And not only that, if you keep reading, you'll find out that the party lasted for six months. So when you it's like Obama calling in all the military and saying, hey, boys, listen, um, I think we're good now. I think what we're going to do is come to D.C. and we're going to have a big party for six months. I'm not going to worry about Iraq, Iran, Pakistan. It's all good. We have, we're good. Man, you are powerful when you can throw a six-month party and bring in all your military leaders and not worry. And King Xerxes was kind of a big deal, right? Big deal. He was wealthy. Um, he's got enough money to throw the party of all parties. Um, it says, for a full 180 days, he displayed the vast wealth of his kingdom and the splendor and glory of his majesty. When those days were over, the king gave a banquet lasting seven days in the enclosed garden of the king's palace for all the people from the least to the greatest who were in the citadel of Susa. The garden had hangings of white and blue linen fastened with cords of white linen and purple material to silver rings on marble pillars. It's lavish. There were couches of gold. When I was a bachelor, I, I, had, I lived in an apartment out on 2427. It was a fantastic place to live. You could watch the TV. This is back when we had cable. You just like, all we had was cable. You watch TV, and if my neighbors were watching the same thing, it was like surround sound. It was awesome. Like, you know, the, 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 the rug was this nasty, like, shag dirty looking carpet and all of my furniture was donated to me and so and, and all the match none of the furniture matched but it all matched the carpet right it was just a weird it was a bachelor pad right like please dear god somebody marry me get me out of here right thank you <laughs> thank you thank you he didn't live there okay this this dude was wealthy listen can you imagine um, the, the bill on a six-month party? N not just a six-month party, as we'll find out in a little bit, an open bar for six months. Like, he calls in all the military leaders for six months, and then for one week, he opens it up to everybody in Susa. Hey, y'all just come on up, guys. Open bar, drink whatever you want, however you want, however much you want. It's on me. Can you imagine the tab at the end of that party? He, he, picture, like, they're sitting on gold. There were couches of gold and silver. Verse 7, wine was served in goblets of gold. I, I can't even find cups that match. <laughs> right? Like, it's like, hey, it's good to have you here. Here, Take my goblet of gold. Have a seat on my couch of gold. Enjoy yourselves, right? You, you picture this? This guy's wealthy. The problem with him was this. He was a jerk about it all. 
It's, it's one thing to be powerful, right? It's another thing to be wealthy. It's a whole different thing to be powerful and wealthy and a jerk about it, right? Like he's the kind of guy that wants to rub your face in it. So when he opens up his palace to all the people that live in Susik, you can imagine if he's got all this wealth, there's a lot of people that have no wealth at all. And he's inviting them to come in, right? They're coming hanging out. They're walking in. They're looking at, they're drinking from a cup that they could work their whole life and never afford to buy. They're sitting on a couch of gold. They're looking around. I love one commentator talked about how he had purple linens because only the, the wealthiest of people back then could afford to die to make something purple. And, and not only is it purple, but it's hanging on a silver curtain rod. Silver. I mean, it's just, hey guys, come on in. You, you, have, you have, uh, don't raise your hand, please don't raise your hand, but do you have friends in your life that when they get something really nice, they want to show it to you? But they really just want to show off, right? Oh, look at this fantastic house that we just got. We got it for a steal. Only $999,000. They wanted a million. I mean, you're just like, you're walking in, and they're just, you just, they're just rubbing your face in it. That's how this king was. Man, he knew that he was powerful. He knew that he was the most powerful man in the world. He literally believed that he was the king of the world. Does that sound like somebody else that we know? Yeah. He ruled us the king of the world. We'll, we'll find out even later in the stories that he, was, he had such a God complex that he had this thing called the, the rule and the law of the, the Persians and the Medes. And what it meant was this, that if he said something, it could not be revoked. How many of you have had conversations, and as the words came out of your mouth, you were reaching for them, right? Like, oh, snap. I can't believe I said that. Did I say that out loud, right? And you're reaching for it because, like, I don't know about you, but like, multiple times, more times than I can count in a day, I will say something and wish I had said it differently. The only person I can think of that could actually have the confidence to say, what I say goes and I will never change it, is God. And so here's King Xerxes. Such a God complex that when he would make a law, it was irrefutable, irrevocable. This is the man that we're talking about. Everything we know about Xerxes, we'll sum it up in one word, bad. He's a bad man with a ton of power. And that makes for a very bad king. What I want you to know is this. We'll talk about this some more towards the end. You're sitting next to a king. We make bad kings. When we put ourselves on a throne, we make horrible kings. We don't want to relate to King Xerxes, but we can. Bad king who was given a throne by his dad. And what do bad kings do? They make bad decisions. Bad kings make bad decisions. Let's, let's see a couple of bad decisions that, that he made us, he made in this story. Let's pick up verse 8. By the king's command, each guest was allowed to drink in his own way 
For the, for the, the king instructed all the wine stewards to serve each man what he wished. Queen Vashti, his wife, also gave a banquet for the women in the royal palace of King Xerxes. Verse 10, on the seventh day when King Xerxes was in high spirits from wine. Um, you know what that means, right? Smashed, totally, right? Like lampshade on the head. I will not remember anything that happened. I don't remember the last, from January to June. No recollection at all, right? On the seventh day when King Xerxes was in high spirits from wine, he commanded the seven eunuchs who served him, names I'm not going to try to pronounce. And um, just quickly, you know what a eunuch is? So, so a eunuch was a person who either, either naturally could not, could not have, help a, a woman have children, right? Or it was somebody who, who had physically been taken and, and castrated so that they could not impregnate a woman. Okay, I'm trying to be like PG-13-ish. So here again, here's a king. Do you know why the kings would have eunuchs? Because they believed that their lineage was so pure, God complex, my blood is so pure, I'm going to take these men and I'm going to make them eunuchs so that they would never be able to add their impurity to my lineage. I can entrust my, we'll get this to harem. <laughs> this is how you know he's stupid. He has more than one wife, right? So I, I, my harem, like I'm going, to try, I'm, going to, I'm going to let these men take care of them, but I'm going to make sure they can't ever make it impure because my blood is pure. This is the king we're talking about, right? This is the king. And so he sends his eunuchs, and here's what he tells them to do. To bring before him Queen Vashti wearing her royal crown in order to display her beauty to the people and nobles, for she was lovely to look at. Now, he's going to make, I think, like four bad decisions, okay? None of these should surprise us because when you get a bunch of men together and you give them a bunch of alcohol, nothing good's going to happen, right? Like sober people never go, dude, check this out. Right? It takes a lot of alcohol. Like karaoke. Karaoke's funny, right? But it's really funny when the dude who had too much to drink gets up and does it. Right? Like nothing good's coming of this party. Six months of an open bar. Whatever you want. A bunch of men. And they're military men. Okay? Now, I'm, I'm not military, but I've, I've talked to people that are in the military can you imagine like high testosterone military men in the same place for six months drinking as much alcohol as they could possibly want? And at the end of that six months, thinking something good was about to happen. This is the environment that we're in. And then a whole week with the whole city of Susa, everybody's in there. They're all drinking. It's crazy. And his first bad decision as he's drunk, is, hey, I want to show off my trophy wife. Go get her. Now, before you get mad and say stuff like, well, you know, I've heard that Queen Vashti was horrible, and I've heard preachers preach about how she refused the king, and I'm a good Christian. I'm never supposed to refuse the king. When it says that he sent her to wear her royal crown, it literally meant she was only wearing the royal crown. So let me just talk to the women. How do you think that went over? Uh, hey, queen. Um, well, they would have said it like this. Hey, queen. <laughs> the king has need of thee. Please disrobe 
and wear your crown and parade out in a room full of drunken military men. And she said, don't even make me, right? I mean, she's like, it ain't happening, okay? So I want to make sure you understand right up front that Queen Vashti has been vilified for years for being noble. For looking at a bad king who was making a bad decision and saying no. Okay? First bad decision he made. Wanting to show off his trophy wife. She refuses. And this is when he makes his second bad decision. Verse 14. Well, verse 12. But when the attendants delivered the king's command, Queen Vashti refused to come. And then the king became furious and burned with anger. Since it was customary for the king to consult experts in matters of law and justice, he spoke with the wise men who understood the times and were closest to the king, he, more names I'm not going to say, the seven nobles of Persia and Media who had special access to the king and were highest in the kingdom. Now, here's the second bad decision he made. He consulted about what to do with men who had been drinking with him for at least a week. So the drunk turns to the drunks and says, what are we going to do? There's a verse in Proverbs that says, if you walk with the wise, you will become wise. Now, I mean, I, I tell you all the time, like our church is growing. Our church had record attendance last week for Easter. Our church is doing amazing things in our city. And do you know why? Because I have got really smart people around me, wiser people than me. Because when you're around wise people, you grow wise. But the second half of that says this, but a companion of fools suffers harm. You've you've seen this. You've been around people that were like, yeah, I bet you won't. (laughs) Oh, yes, I will. And it just never goes well, does it? And so here's a fool, a king, a fool, a bad king who makes a bad decision about his wife and then turns to more fools and asks them what we should do about it. Here's the advice that they give him. According to the law, he says in verse 18, what must be done to Queen Vashti? She's not obeyed the command of King Xerxes that the eunuchs have taken to her. Then Mimikin replied in the presence of the king and the nobles, Queen Vashti has done wrong, not only against the king, but also against all the nobles and the people of all the provinces of King Xerxes. For the queen's conduct, verse 17, will become known to all the women, and they will despise their husbands and say, King Xerxes commanded Queen Vashti to be brought before him, but she would not come. This very day, the Persian and Median women of the nobility who have heard about the queen's conduct will respond to all the king's nobles in the same way. They will, there will be no end of disrespect and discord. Verse 19, therefore, if it pleases the king, let him issue a royal decree. Let it be written in the laws of Persia and Media, which cannot be repealed. That's that whole, I'm God and what I say goes. That Vashti is never again to enter the presence of the king. Also let the king give her royal position to someone else who is better than she. And then when the king's edict is proclaimed throughout all his vast realm, all the women will respect their husbands from the least to the greatest Just as an aside, if you're here as a lady and you've ever been forced and pushed and manipulated to submit, this isn't going to make her respect him, is it? Yeah. So they say this. Let's just sum up all those verses. Dude, she made you look bad. 
Dude, your wife made you look bad. She threw you up under the bus, and then she drove it over you. So you need to make an example out of her. So let's, let's write a law. It can never be repealed, and we will remove her from her throne, from your presence. She can never come back in. You better make an example out of that woman. That's how that went down. Third bad decision he made. Verse 21, the king was pleased with this advice, and so the king did as they proposed. So, <clears throat> first bad decision. In a drunken stupor, he wants to show off his trophy wife. Second bad decision, when she refuses, he asks all his drunk buddies, what are we going to do about it? And they give him really bad advice, and the third bad decision he makes is he listened to their advice and did it. Man. Bad kings make bad decisions. Here's the last point. And this is the best news. I want you to get this out of the first chapter of Esther. Bad kings bow to a better king. Bad kings bow to a better king. It's, it's good to read a story about a bad king making bad decisions, isn't it? It's like, that's just a great story, Paul. What really, what really is going to require bravery in this series is to read this story and then apply it to us, okay? We don't, we don't want to think like that. We, we like to, do you ever do the lottery game? Um, Wendy and I do this all the time. We're driving down to South Carolina, especially when they didn't do the lottery in North Carolina, and we would see the billboard like this current prize, you know, $378 million. You ever do that game where you go, what would I do with $378 million, right? So just for a second, let's stop talking about King Xerxes and let's talk about King you. What would you do with unlimited power? What would you do with unlimited wealth? And here's what you're already thinking. Oh, I'd do good, right? Because when we try to spend $378 million, it usually goes like this. Well, we'd build an orphanage. That would cost about $3 million. We still got $375 million. Um, we would pay off our house. Okay, there's still $375 million. <laughs> um, so then, okay, I'd buy you a new car. Uh, Pre-owned Honda. Um, okay, still $374.75 million. Um, oh, let's, everybody in our family will give them some money. Um, there's still $375 million. And then... Um, <laughs> Yeah, you just kind of go through the list, and you're like, you know what? You know what? Here's what we'll do. We'll, um, we'll set up a foundation so that we can send needy kids to college. We'll, we'll, we'll adopt. We'll, and we start saying all these noble things that we'll do, and then at some point, we're like, we just did everything we can think of, and we still haven't spent half of it. Let me ask you this question. Don't raise your hand. How many of you don't have what you made last month? Man, have you noticed our tendency to spend 101% of what we make. And somehow we think that will change because we won the lottery. Well, let me just tell you what you would do if you won the lottery. You would go buy everybody in your family and all of your friends a beachfront property. You would own the strip at Myrtle Beach, and you would say to all your friends, come on. See, we're not that different from King Xerxes. 
We would be extravagant and we would waste the resources that we have. And how do I know? You're like, that's too judgmental. How do I? You don't know I would do that. Yes, I do because you're already doing it. Because I'm already doing it. Because that's what we do. It's the American way, right? Because we sit up on the throne of our lives and we make bad kings. And when we're bad kings, we make bad decisions. We do things like buy the, listen to the infomercial and I buy the package that's going to teach me how to do like real estate without spending any cash. And I did it thinking, you know what, it looks easy. Carlton Sheets says it's going to be fantastic and any idiot can do it. That's me. I'm the idiot, apparently. And so I bought it and then I felt bad and I thought, I'll just return it within 30 days so I can get my money back. But I'm too much of an idiot. I'm such a bad king that I returned it on day 31. So now I don't have the product and I don't have the money that I spent to get the product and I'm not buying real estate with anything. Bad kings make bad decisions. And some of you have made horrible decisions in your lives because you have ruled your life. What I say goes. And we make bad decisions. We make bad kings. And so for you, the takeaway right now is this. You, you need to repent. You need to step off that throne and allow a better king to step up on that throne. Some of you are, are like Queen Vashti, okay? Your life is jacked up because you stood up against a tyrant. I'm not saying you're perfect, you're innocent, you never did anything wrong, but you made a stand somewhere along the way because there was a bad king over you and they ruined your life. They, they just wrote you out. You're gone. It's like you never even existed. And now all you have are the broken pieces. You know what the good news for you is? That that bad king does not rule your life. There's a better king. His name's King Jesus. We, we make poor decisions instead of wise ones. We waste resources instead of sharing them. We show off instead of showing humility. We demand to be served instead of choosing to serve. But there was another king. And we would do well Man, this morning, to be brave and stage a coup. I, I want you to stage a coup. You're like, what, what's a coup? A coup is when you like, get all your buddies together and you dethrone the king. I want you to stage a coup. The problem is you're going to have to kick yourself off the throne, right? Like when I cross coach cross country, we do this woman called butt kicks, which is a lot of fun. Kids are running like they're kicking their own butts like that. You're going to have to kick yourself off the throne. You're going to have to like wind up and kick your butt and get off the throne. Stage a coup. The biggest act of bravery as we go through Esther is this. Trust that God will orchestrate the events in your life even when you can't see him. But the first step is getting the right king on the throne. And his name is King Jesus. With all that King Xerxes did in this story, with his showing off his wealth, Stepping on people to get higher. Just let's close looking at Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, paints the picture of a greater king. It says this about Jesus in verse 6 Who being in very nature God, Jesus had unlimited power, unlimited wealth, 
did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And this is the king that we're called to put on the throne. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Listen, King Xerxes used power and wealth to step on people. And King Jesus used power and wealth to step down to people. He gave it all up just to be near us. This morning, I want to call you to bravery. I want to call you to stage a coup. As you close your eyes for a second, I want you to think about this. What's your takeaway today? Who do you find yourself relating to more in this chapter? The, the, least, the least popular choice would be King Xerxes. But the truth of the matter is, most of us in the room can relate to him. Most of us can relate to, to the damage that we've done by ruling our own lives. To the wake of destruction behind us because we were calling the shots. Most of us can relate to being a bad king and making bad decisions. For you this morning, you need to repent. Some of us, we, we relate more to Queen Vashti. We relate to damage being done to us. Your choice this morning is to trust. And you've got to be brave to repent. You've got to be brave to trust. The good news is that there's a God who can handle both of those responses. Oh, don't you love that? I mean, we're just in the first chapter. We, we've, just, we've just watched the, an epic account of stupidity by a king. And what we're going to find is that even that wasn't enough to stop what's going to take place over the next nine chapters. That when we allow God to rule our lives... Man, he somehow is able to work through all the stupid stuff that we do and the stupid stuff that gets done to us, and it can't stop his plan. And sometimes he's not even named. He's just behind the scenes working. And I'm calling you this morning to repent before a God like that and to trust a God like that. I'm going to ask you to respond by raising your hand to this question. If you're here this morning and you relate more to King Xerxes, you're like, you know what? I can see what you're saying. I, I can see where he was a bad king. That he, he flaunted things. He used his power to command and demand. And honestly, Paul, I'm, I'm realizing that that's me. I tend to use power to command people to do what I want. I tend to bully people into things. My life does not look like that thing you read from Philippians about Jesus stepping down. I relate to King Xerxes and I want to repent. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand right where you are. Just raise your hand. That's me. I just want to repent for that. Thank you. Thank you. You can put your hands back down.
Let me ask you that second group. How many of you can relate to Queen Vashti? This is your takeaway this morning. You felt like you've been powerless at the mercy of somebody like the king. And you have lost things in your life because of what others have done to you. And, and you find yourself often slipping into this victim role. We don't know what happened to Vashti beyond this chapter. But I want you just to raise your hand and say, that's me. I relate to that. Thank you. Thank you. Just put your hands up and put it right back down. I want to pray for you this morning as we close. That you would, through this series, man, you come back, we walk through this together, that you will see the hand of God in this story. Just guiding people, protecting people. That he is a king that you can trust. Lord, I thank you for these hands, God, all over the room. Thank you for people that are honestly repenting. And so right now, we just pray, God, that you would, um, you would cleanse us, God. 1 John 1, 9 says that when we confess our sins, you'll forgive us of all unrighteousness. God, we do not want to sit on the throne of our lives. This, this is not a game of thrones. This is real life, right? We, we, wanna, we don't want to rule our lives. God, it leads to destruction, not only for us, but for many people around us. And so right now, we just repent of that. We, we, we ask God that King Jesus would sit on the throne of our lives. We repent before you of trying to be you. God, I pray for those that, that relate to the queen in this first chapter. I, I pray that you would begin to heal those emotions. God, that, that when they start to feel that victim cloud, God, that they would look up and realize, wait a second. Like, that king was bad, but there is a better king. There's a better king, Jesus, and I can trust him with my life. And he is going to work things out. Even if I can't see him right now, he's going to work things out. And the end of my story is going to be so much better than this chapter I'm stuck in right now. God, I, I pray for our church as we journey through this book, God, that you would fill us with supernatural courage to trust you. That we would not be brave because suddenly we have worked out and gotten stronger and look good in a bathing suit because it's almost summertime. We would be brave and courageous on the inside. Amen. God, we would be roaring lions, God, because we trust you. Because we have the right king in place and we're trusting you to work in our circumstances. God, help us to walk out this morning absolutely, 100%, head high, full of courage, knowing that we can be brave because, God, you sit on the throne. When we rule, we play the fool every single time. But when you rule, God, man, we can be brave. We can be brave. In your name, Jesus, amen.